listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 531. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we conclude our discussion of the Asimov-influenced series <laughs> foundation. The Asimov-adjacent. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a, a fair uh, assessment yeah, of it. And, and again, it. not to belabor the point, I, I think most of us you know, in the Sci-Fi TV Rewatch community are perfectly okay that they have deviated so far from the novels and just put together a you know an interesting story it's it's got some problems that we'll, we'll talk about tonight but uh you know before we get to that just a reminder we typically record on mondays so any feedback's got to be in sunday 6 p.m eastern time audio feedback with a strict six minute limit and want to thank all of our listeners in finland dude i mean it's not surprising we do well in the uk and australia and of course we do the best in the u.s but we definitely appreciate our scandinavian listeners for sure guess how many listeners we have in tanzania uh one that would be one more than we have (laughs) Dude, what I don't, is going I, I, on? I just talked to to my son yesterday for quite a while, but I, I forgot to tell him to to <laughs> get busy on pumping up our numbers there. There you go. So. All right. Speaking of pumping up our numbers, if you want to contact us us with some feedback, questions, whatever, sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com is the way you can reach us. Check out the Facebook group if you haven't already. I guess this qualifies as news. We're going to begin our look at season three of Ragnarok on Netflix next week. After that, because Ragnarok's only six episodes. Yeah, you and I (laughs) will wait till we're on episode five of Ragnarok before we start talking about what's next. Well, we should start thinking about like episode four and then, you know, really knuckle down on episode five. We'll think about talking about it. Right. <laughs> okay. All right. I just got my copy of Agency, which is book two of William Gibson's Jackpot trilogy, which, of course, we know the the peripheral is book one. I didn't realize until maybe a month or so ago that it was actually a trilogy. Now, book three hasn't been written yet, but Gibson's relatively prolific. Sometimes he takes a, a bit of time in between novels, maybe not as many as uh, a certain other layabout. Yeah, author. somebody that that likes a few extra initials in the middle of his name. Um, but anyway, so uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to reading that. I didn't want to read too much about it, I, I, as I understand it. It's part of the same peripheral universe, but different characters, and I'm not even sure where it fits into the timeline. So got that. I'm looking forward to reading that. I'm halfway through the peripheral now. Um, Flynn just made her second trip to London, and she's kind of you know, got her feet oh, firmly planted. I think I'm, uh, I'm about where you are, I think. Okay. Caught up. Now, you got to get reading, man. What do you do all, all right. day? Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> All right. Now I, I realize, you know, maybe I should uh, go to Judge Chutkin and see if I can get a gag order on people not criticizing me too heavily here. But I have a friend, believe it or not, and I actually left my house, but I didn't have to go far. So I watched episode one of Andor. Okay. Now 
I'm I'm going to give it another episode and and reevaluate. But I I mean I got to be honest. I just didn't see anything that's going to make me change my mind. And and I think what it is, the Star Wars universe just doesn't really hold any interest for me. I mean, I like my aliens to look human. This is this is very sad commentary, David. I I know and and. Certainly, you've told me it, it's you know came up in the Facebook group that that not only might this be the best Star Wars series and offering, it may be one of the best television shows. Period. Well, I so I wouldn't have gone that far. Okay, and and, and I don't know. I mean, I mean, then in terms of sci-fi, we're in Battlestar Galactica territory and then when you talk about tv shows whether sopranos breaking bad i mean there's so many well not so many but there are a lot of yeah. great series out there but anyway so i'll report back i'm going to give it another one of their episodes of which is international assassin yeah um i did like the fact that episode one was only 38 minutes and actually the credits started early so it was only about 35 minutes but anyway yeah. Um, so the other have show. You, have you got? Have you broke down? Got Disney Plus for No, no, no. I have a friend, and and uh, I was I went over there yesterday uh, uh, since the Ravens game was over by twelve thirty. Yeah, so it was super early because he played in London. Um, and and he's been on me like like you about Star Wars. So anyway, he, he was like, "Oh yeah, we can watch it." So anyway, um, I'm just watching- trying to get you to watch Deadpool two now. <laughs> yeah, I probably will. It'll take a while. <laughs> But I, I definitely enjoyed Deadpool. So uh, we're watching a series called World on Fire, which is a PBS. I can't remember if it was originally BBC or not, but it takes place during World War II. And so far, it centers around this British translator who's in Poland and his Polish girlfriend. Meanwhile, his British girlfriend is back in the UK mm. trying to make it as a singer, while her dad, who's played by Sean Bean, <gasps> struggles with PTSD from World War One, and, and we're at the point where the Germans have just invaded Poland, and the British translator uh, is now back in the UK because the the British government shut down the consulate in Poland. So you haven't got to the part yet where the Germans bomb Pearl Harbor? Uh, no, we haven't yet, but... Uh, Anyway, so so far pretty pretty good. There's there's season one's completely out, and apparently season two now is dropping one at a time. Uh, so, anyway, what do you got? So I am almost caught up with Star Trek Lower Decks, and that series is just is so enjoyable. It's I just I love it. Um, I actually rewatched the um, the the Star Trek Strange New Worlds episode. Those old scientists, just because now that I've you know am more familiar with these characters, like to see how the, the um, animated uh, characters compare with the the real life um, the live action characters, and it was it was just 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 great. You know, I the first experience I had with Lower Decks was watching that episode. Those old scientists. So I didn't realize that earlier in Lower Decks that's like an inside joke that one of the uh, one of the like the first officer of the ship says, "Oh yeah, like like uh, you know Kirk and Spock and all those guys we call them TOS." And the other person's like, "What? Like yeah, those old scientists, you know?" So they actually they carried that joke over to the that. So that was that was great. So loads of stuff like that that I'm not even 
a big enough Star Trek fan to catch all the Easter eggs and references. And a lot of times I know they're referring to something that was like on Deep Space Nine or Voyager that I just didn't watch those shows long enough. Uh, but it's great. Uh, so, but uh, I'll be caught up probably tonight uh, after we do this. I'll have like two more episodes to go and I'll be all caught up. So, Loki, also, I know you're not uh, as probably as little a fan as you are of Star Wars. You are probably equally have the same amount of love for the Marvel Universe, but uh, Loki is really probably the best of the Marvel TV shows, series that are on there. Um, you know, I don't know. Like the others were, were pretty good. I mean, there's none of them that I thought was bad. Um, I really like enjoyed She-Hulk, but I think Loki is kind of steps up as far as like adding in like the humor and the excitement and all that stuff. So like in Tom Hilson's great. Um, another Disney plus Ahsoka, the series finale dropped for that a couple weeks ago, but I last week instead of talking about it, I, I went off about Israel and Gaza, but again, I probably no surprise to anyone that, I enjoyed Ahsoka. I, I, I still kind of don't know what to think about the the finale of season one of Ahsoka. Um, I thought it was pretty good. And I guess my, uh, you know, it, it's hard for me to se- separate myself from the fanboy, you know. So when I see all these characters from Rebels and their live action counterparts, you know, I'm kind of, most of my brain is kind of geeking out about that and probably not really critically thinking about what I'm watching because, you know, I, I think Ahsoka in the long run probably could have been better, but it's still pretty good. I, I enjoyed it a lot, and I hope there is a season two and, you know, or whatever. I guess they're building to a big uh, Mandoverse movie that Dave Filoni's got going. So um, so that's it. Uh, that's it for me. All right, good. I'll just make one comment, and that's related to the Marvel Universe, which – I enjoy the Marvel Universe. Now, I mean, I'm not a huge superhero fan, but but I, I think what it is about Star Wars, I'm just not into the aliens looking really, really alien and, you know, the 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 different kinds of animals and riding these big camel-like, you know, whatever. So you're, I you're, don't know. My heart is weeping right now. I know. But I think I the know. problem was is that you weren't eight years old when Star Trek, Star Wars came out. And, and that's certainly <laughs> possible. I mean, I, I did go out and see the movie in 1977 and, and really loved it. But I guess at that point, there was such a dearth of decent science fiction out there. Yeah. So I'll just better leave it at that. <laughs> so, all right, let's, let's go ahead and get to Foundation, the season two finale episode 10 titled creation myth written by Liz Fang and David S. Goyer directed by Alex Graves. And it aired September 15th, 2023. So what we will do is just, you jump in with whatever you want to jump in with. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and start as opposed to how we normally run this. Yeah. Right. How we're so, um, I mean, Uh, uh, I just wrote up this whole outline, Dave, I guess I'm going to throw this out. Darn it. Uh, for me, the episode feels really rushed, maybe too many threads to address in too little time. But the unforgivable sin for me, not surprising, is the resurrection of all of these dead characters yeah. with pretty dubious narrative explanations. Yeah. Well, we knew the hairy explanation was going to be a clunker. 
Like you just do that. Whatever, whatever they come up with, it's it's not gonna it's not gonna satisfy, right? And and I mean, you've mentioned the narrative element of Deus Ex Machina many times, as have I. And you know, I assume maybe we shouldn't assume everybody knows what that is, although they can go look it up. Uh, it's spelled D-E-U. I've seen it with an X or an S. Uh, E-X, then Machina, I guess technically God from the machine, yes. but but just like th- this unbelievable um, saving of a character to clear up a plot line. I mean, you know, the, the Saturday morning cartoons back when we were kids, somebody would fall off a cliff and then a big eagle would swoop in and grab it right. in its mouth and take it to safety. Yeah, which is kind of basically what happened with Harry Seldon here. But as Harry tells Constant, the vault can do many great things. Yeah, okay, Harry. <laughs> I mean, Terminus is sacrificed yeah. so that the foundation could survive. Well, okay, yeah, okay, the planet was sacrificed. Well, you know, a planet's a planet. I mean, not yeah. to make light of that. I mean, we're trying to save the one we happen to live on in real life. But Are we the survivors. To save it? <laughs> I don't think, well, I don't think we're doing some much. of us are. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, so what happens here? The survivors just go to another planet. They're going to stay in the vault because, as Harry says, the vault can do many great things, which, I mean, I don't know. It, it just seems it just seems to take all of the the, the power and, and emotion out of these scenes when, when we see these characters and we just – you know, we just weep for them, yeah. the, these men, women, children. Well, it kind of like uh, retroactively takes the power out because like we experience those really stirring scenes of especially Polly and Glaywin, uh right as they kind of um, resign themselves to their fate. You know, we got to experience that emotional aspect of that. Um, but and now all of a sudden like they're, they're just back. Like, and you're right. It does, and a number of our, our feedbackers kind of said it does seem like a like a cheat. And it, and, and you're right. You're like, well, like if no one ever dies, then what are the stakes? Right? Do we do we get emotionally involved with these characters? Now, ah, eh, yeah, you're gonna be back. You know. Well, that's the thing. Now, I mean, to be honest, there are no stakes anymore. And, and I mean, with certain TV shows, I mean, that was one of the problems I had uh, when we got in the fine, in the last few seasons of lost girl, it was pretty clear. There just were no stakes. And I, I posted a link in the Facebook group for the take five that I did back in 2013 called when is dead, dead. I remember that. That was good. And, you know, I mentioned a lot of different shows in there. And I, I think since I, did it in 2013 or yeah, 2013, the statute of limitations is, is long past. So don't tell me I spoiled a particular series for you, but you know, there just are no stakes anymore. But the, on the other hand, go well, ahead. that's cause just to your point, like I feel like Hober and Bel Rios are actually dead. Why? But yeah, right. Yeah, I, exactly, I feel that the, right? there was a there was a tear in the fabric of the universe, and then they happened to go through it, and they came out on the other side. Right. And, well, and, and I hate that with those two. I'm like, okay, if you resurrect two characters, and those are the two, all right, I I'll go for that. 
you know, because those are basically my two favorite characters, you know, and, and uh, Alan from Minnesota mentioned I was happy to see Polly Verisop, but I would, I'd sacrifice a Polly to have Hober and Bel Rios back. Those two were the best. And, and I agree with you on that. Still, for me, the powerful emotional story of Demerzel somewhat offsets it. And, you know, you've mentioned Bel Rios several times here in the discussion already. And, and, and you know, the aftermath of the battle and, and just the way everything plays out, that that aspect of this episode is just brilliant. I mean, Bell balks at the order to jump to Thespis and his line today, you do this, it will be the moral ruin of the empire. And they doesn't give a fuck. Right. You know, that, that psychotic grin that he has once again. And you understand Demerzel's like, what happened to you? What didn't I do that allowed you to become this kind of a man? And she's got a lot to grapple with. That's not the least of it. I, I think it really hits to her core about how day turned out and you know, it, well, because it's on her, right? Well, it, like that's like you had one job, right, to make sure that the uh, empire is not a raging psychopath. And again, she's probably made mistakes in the past, but it's just like little, like uh, kill him, decant yeah. the other one, and we're good to go, right? Yeah. What'd you think of the fight scene between Day and uh, Bell? Well, that was awesome. That was definitely. I'm probably going to end up overgrading this episode mostly because the fight scene was awesome and like bell rios coming in and like fly tackling him that was amazing get that guy a pair of shoulder pads man that was awesome oh no no kidding but i i i don't know whether i think it was an awesome element or just so revolting when when day spits the blood yeah that was the on his face Uh, i i I know what you mean both their their faces are all messed up they've got blood coming out of their mouth man it's just like yeah that was that was a cool fight scene right and then you know bell gets shoved into the airlock and we're thinking like all right you know you know we already had uh with that ultimate hero's death where where he knows what the what the deal is and he's like do what you got to do i you know and yeah again he, of course he's but you had to quite know. Dead. you knew it was coming. we were just waiting for that castling thing to- uh, see i didn't think about it really yeah uh, I which i'm like I, the minute he pushed him in the airlock i'm like he's getting castled okay so you know for me then when i saw oh and and to me, that's not a narrative cheat because all of those elements, we've seen them in play before. No, well, they, they, they said, uh, I believe Alan from the UK called it Chekhov's castling device. But, you know, when Hober handed it over to Bel Rios, it's like, why are you making a big deal out of that? Right. And like, oh, well, obviously they're pointing out that Hober is giving Bell the castling stuff so that later on, Bell's going to have to use it. Hence, when he gets shoved into an airlock after losing a fight to the Emperor. Sure. And, and and even early in the series, I, I start losing track of what season it was in. I guess it was the beginning of season two when when we see Hober escape 
execution using you know the castling device so uh yeah anyway so clearly you were paying closer attention than i was and then we get the the scene here where the ship is going down nobody's getting off but i do have i have in my notes an escape pod that's actually not what it is i forget what he says it's I, I think it's some sort of a pod that somebody gets in to make repairs on the outside of the ship or, but that's not important. No. Only one person can fit. And, and we get that really emotional scene between constant and Hober where, you know, she's like, you go. No, he's like, you go. So, you know, in the end, it just got set up brilliantly. She agrees to go don't you want to know my real name? And this is after, you know, yeah. he goes, she, he goes through about how great she is. She gives people hope and all that. It's like, my name's hope. Really? Nah. Yeah. <laughs> that was just, that was really good. The, yeah, the writing so. wasn't spectacular in this. It didn't really have to be because it wasn't like a lot of dialogue. There's a lot of action here in this one, but that was a, that was a corker. That was a good one. Well, and again, she's gone, and we don't know where the rest of the crew is, but we just see Hober and Bel Rios together. I guess they're on the bridge or in in you know the the, the captain's quarters or whatever. And Hober finally gets to cr- bring out the wine. They both take a drink. Yeah, this is terrible. It's going off, right? <laughs> right, but they yeah, talk this is, about it's, it's funny know, because like something ex- that exact thing happened. To me, my wife and I were had gone to a winery, right? And we bought this bottle of Cabernet Franc. And, and the, the guy who owns the winery said, hey, let this sit for like four years and then drink it. It'll be awesome. And I'm like, all right, cool. And I actually, we, we talked about it. I'm like, oh, okay, well, in four years, I think our oldest would be graduating from high school. So, you know, we'll celebrate his graduation. We'll finally uncork this wine. And, uh, you know, he graduated and we uncorked it and it was awful. It was like drinking freaking vinegar. I was like, I was so, I almost wanted to like just call to the wire and just, just say, dude, you, I want, however much I pay for this stupid bottle, I want back. This is awful. So I was able to sympathize is what I'm saying. Yeah. And, and the two of them, talk about meeting death with honor and i got to shove day out of the airlock yeah and then the ship implodes or whatever again that's my problem that that this is such a great scene i guess i I, I mean it was a great scene because i felt as if there were stakes that's the thing like that's you're right it totally just just the possibility that this is all that that Episode one of season three, you know, is going to be Hober and Bel Rios on some distant planet somewhere saying, what happened, man? Oh, I don't know. We're still alive. Hooray. You know, just like we're kind of expecting it. It does take away from that scene a little bit. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Their plane's going to land and everybody's going to say, where have you been for five years? Oh, uh, that was uh, a yeah. manifest. Sorry. Now. I or guess for just me, gonna walk into a church together, and then everyone from Trantor is going to be terminus is going to be in there. There you go, there you go. Um, I mean, my favorite story is Demerzel taking control of Empire. But what's her plan? I mean, she's got the Prime Radiant. She's got three new oh, copies. She's got a plan. 
Well, so what's the deal? Is, I don't know is what it the, is. But. Is the genetic dynasty still in play? Yeah, 100%. Okay. Now, we've got Day and Sarath out there, whether they're smart enough to just, you know, run to a distant planet and live out their life and hope Demersil doesn't find them, because obviously a new dawn has been decanted, and we assume that none of them have the memory of Day's decision to end the genetic dynasty. So I well, guess I mean, that's her plan. Well, supposed to be updated. I mean, I know what they've told us is that their memories are updated all the time, right? Right. But then again, we also know that Demerzel is selecting which memories they keep, right? So right. So you're right. Probably all that nonsense. Obviously, she would have to like not include that in their memories, right? Right. And then, you know, as far as the people are concerned, uh, who cares? <laughs> we are empire. Right. We changed our mind. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they did make kind of a big deal out right. of it, you know, ending the, the genetic empire or whatever. Um, so now they're going to be like, uh, JK. Right. Sarath was a traitor. She's, you know, whatever. We, we took care of her. Yeah. But but so much of this episode for me revolves around Demersel's angst related to not knowing which of her feelings are real. And and that idea about the search for self that you and I have explored in our teaching just dozens and probably getting close to a hundred times over the years. And we've seen this in science fiction before. Uh, I mean, certainly Blade Runner. It sure. is one of the earlier ones that I remember which seeing. Which version sure you're the, watching, of course, but yeah. Well, I'm talking about the uh, Harrison Ford version, of course. No, but I, I mean, this. like, which which version of the Harrison Ford movie? Oh, I got gotcha. you. Different endings and stuff like that. Right. Good. Good point. But you really feel for her because she has feelings, but but she just can't. She never can know whether she what she's feeling is just because she's programmed right. or and, well, and and that's that's what makes her allowing of uh dawn to escape like is that a point where her somehow quote unquote emotions overruled her program because you know it seems a slam dunk you can't let this kid get away you can't let these two people get they're super dangerous they're symbols of i guess whatever the opposite of, of what is currently going on here right sure so I, to I let mean, that Doug- go off and continue existing when she killed uh dusk and rue just for walking into the wrong room you know oh, all right and and he acknowledges that we were dead the moment we entered this place so he understands and and again another great scene because she's highly emotional that you know she, she's got tears streaming down her right. cheeks as dusk tells her that he forgives her and loves her and embraces her and then when she just waves her hand to restore the laser barrier i, I mean I, here i feel there are real stakes yeah. now will i be surprised if there's something that happens that they're rescued yeah, I kind of will be surprised because I don't know what that could possibly be. Day is gone or or is he? I mean, is Day 
floating out there nearly dead and then some passing ship says oh there's empire let's pick them up hey, and is that, yeah throw them in the regeneration pool well it did or, happen in the hitchhiker's guide to galaxy I just, yeah, yeah. But they had an um, infinite improbability drive so you know unless there's one of those going around probably day is gone but there's a new day a new day uh, has dawned <laughs> Uh, we better stop there. Yeah, just, um, the, the possibilities are endless. I know. <laughs> but when she talks about Cleon the First, that he rescued me and I loved him, and she kind of talks about that love hate relationship that she then had with him, yeah. and and now that she has the prime radiant, I, I'm not sure exactly if any of us know how that's going to help. Well, but Harry you, wanted to have it though, right? Well, I understand that, but to what end? Uh, I mean, Harry predicts the future. How How is she going to use the prime radiant? Well, because she's part of Harry's cunning plan. Okay. And that is, you know, no. what? Yeah. No, no. I mean, so. But it means that there's someone who sees, he, I think he knows that Demerzel sees the bigger picture, um, you know, and thinks in broad terms for the most part. Now, this obviously this last episode would counteract that. Well, of course, if Demerzel is in charge, which it certainly appears that she is, why would there have to be a downfall of empire? You know, it almost seems as if she has the temperament and the mentality to work with foundation you know what can we do to avoid this catastrophic war well you know and that, that's a good question i think probably for all his faults day was probably right in his assessment that the only way for empire to succeed is for the genetic dynasty to end but that won't ever be. So her taking over, her maintaining the genetic dynasty is, you know, probably exactly what Harry needs her to do to hasten, not so much hasten the end of empire, because he's not trying to bring down empire so much as he's trying to make that time between the ultimate and eventual fall of empire and the return of civilization. He's trying to narrow the time span of that. That's really, we can, I think we forget that that's what the ultimate goal is, right? Um, right. So, so then, so then, giving her the prime radiant should give her the tools to shorten that period of darkness. Right. How we don't necessarily know, but I forget who asks her. Does she understand it? I think she says something like, uh, "Not yet, but I will." Or, and and of course we know. But when Sarah tells everybody that she's pregnant. Again, Demerzel has tears, and, and you almost feel as if these these are tears of joy, even though her world seems to be coming apart at the scene. Uh, seems is it joy for Dawn, who tells her she was like a mother? You were always kind to me, and and you know th- this whole scene. You got all of these people that really want to do what's best for. I feel like the 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 larger you know world, not just what's best for me, and yet 
nothing seems to be working out. So, you know, Dawn and Sarah leave. Gotta believe that that Demerzel has the wherewithal to track them down if she wants to. Right, but I think if she wanted to, she would just do them right there, right? Like, well, yeah, but why wait? Why let him escape only to chase him down later? You know, because she does love him. And am I going to? And I'm I'm using air quotes for murder because you know I mean he is a human being, so to kill him is would be murdering him. Even though she can of course decant another one, which she does towards the end of the episode but also the innocent unborn child and right. and this is not something that we've ever seen before and you know we go back to that that scene i don't know if it was last week or the week before when we see her with cleon the first and he gets down on one knee and, and she's like well i can never give you a child and he's like yeah i got a way around that yeah and of course he's talking about the genetic dynasty mm. yeah so there's so much going on here which is one of the things that for me allows me to kind of take all that deuce ex machina nobody's really dead stuff and kind of file it to the side because everything else is so strong yeah that that's that's a great point i think that's exactly how i feel about this episode is that yeah there is tons of goofy stuff in here I guess I kind of think about it when I was I was reading Joe's feedback. Actually, I, I just thought if I kind of like put my my critical brain aside for a little bit, which is not necessarily a good thing to do, but you know, then it's actually a pretty enjoyable show if if you don't think about it too much, you know, because when you think about it, then you realize you see all these flaws and everything. So I I don't know. I mean, maybe that kind of goes against you know everything we kind of stand for on this podcast, but, uh, you know, I don't know. Well, I guess one of the things I don't understand is that, especially for people that have read the novels, the characters are continually changing because the timeline moves, you know, hundreds of years. So I, I think for most of us, it's certainly not only expected, but certainly acceptable to take the characters we just fell in love with for season one and let them go because we've got a new set that we're going to fall in love with. David, I hate to break this to you. We are in a strong minority here. I know. A very small minority. Most people want to see the same characters from week to week, season to season. Um, Well, I understand that. And and the thing is, like like in a book, like you start reading – Actually, I mean, even if you think about the first novel, we got Harry, then Salvor Hardin, and then Hober Mallow, right? And that's all in, like, in the course, I think, of just that one novel, right? So even yeah. in the course of a single novel, we've had to discard the the characters that we had sympathized with and grown to, accustomed to. And then, boom, new story. All those people are dead. Brand new characters get used to. And then, boom, they're gone new set of characters but you know because it's it is a novel and because it has depth and weight to it that we can like we accept that right and it, it only even maybe if i'm upset a little bit that uh salver harden's not in it anymore but after 20 pages of hober mallow i'm like okay i'm good i like this new guy you know but it's totally not like that in the tv show and unfortunately the the fickle 
uh, casual television observer, right, is not going to stand for that type of stuff. Well, I agree with you. I guess what I would then argue is that the casual television viewers probably not watching Foundation to begin with. That's a good point. But they want them to, though. That, that's well, I, okay, that's I like the dream, that. right? We got to aim for the, the middle so we could get the most people watching this. And, yeah. you know, and, and apparently David S. Goyer is out making the rounds of podcasts, uh, online websites, uh, I guess explaining decisions he's made. I, I haven't read any of them yet. I guess I will, but I, I, I feel like I, is this going to be a bunch of BS, but <laughs> – Maybe it's maybe at some point, but I mean, you know, you mentioned Salvor. Okay, Salvor dies, or, or no, does she? Well, 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 not. they definitely cremated not. her. That one, I'm going to put a hard no way. That's okay. not the last we've seen of Salvor. Okay. Well, have how a good do we know that was? That. How do we know that was actually Salvor's body, and that we weren't made to think it? Right. 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 Well, when you, when the, yeah, when you pull the. The, the double because switch look where here, we are right with well with look Harry. where we are yeah exactly right that's their thing they can make us think certain things they can make us think we see certain things so yeah you know so did did salvor throw herself in front of her mother to save her mother's life well yeah she did but well so, guess, so here, here's, here's what i here's what i think <laughs> I am like 99.8% sure that Salvor's consciousness is saved. And here's why I think that because right when they go to, there was like two times where the camera shows the, the older girl, right? The girl who spoke. Yeah. The blonde. Yeah. And she looks down at this younger blonde haired girl, right? It happens twice. They really take a second to, hold that to, to show the older girl looking very pointedly at the younger girl. So, and one of them is like, as they light, uh, Salvor's funeral pyre, they, they show the shot of those two. And then they, they show it again, I believe a little bit later, really making the point of showing this older girl looking at the younger girl. So my thought is that that's where and of course as long as salvor is stored someplace well hell we want we we know there's a place we can go and get your body back right yeah sure so, and and we already know that that Tellum's consciousness was inside the little kid who did the shooting in the first place right, so right you know that you know technology if you will we we certainly know already exists Harry tells Gail that they need to get her 150 years in the future to face the mule. And his plan is to go into a stasis pod and emerge once every year to assess the state of the galaxy. Oh, I can't do it alone. You got to come with me. And yeah. Okay. He agrees. Now here's what I'm thinking. Like, I think Alan from the UK also was confused. Like I thought that meant that, so are they both going to pop out every once a year? They're going to pop out and train people? Is that? Well, you know, work? the way he says it, because I thought that, right, like you said, I thought they were supposed to train all the what, the white-robed individuals. And you can call them a cult, if, Dave. It's all right. Uh, okay. If they're in, both of them are in 
stasis pods, then who's training them? Right. I Sal thought he, inside yeah. the little girl. <laughs> he says they're going to come out once a year to assess the state of the galaxy, not necessarily to train people. So that that's kind of unclear. Fine. Yeah, I guess they'll resolve that. My question is coming out of stasis 150 times can't be good for the human body. I have enough trouble getting out of bed in the morning. So, um, yeah. anyway, so 152 years later, we are introduced to the mule once again, played by Michael, uh, Piers Brandt, who, you know, Fred mentions us in his feedback. I recognized him right away. I from did not recognize education. him, but after Fred said that, I went and looked, I'm like, oh yeah, that dude. Yeah. Yeah. That. He's, uh, yeah. he's the father of Scully's child. Uh, not, not the one she has with Mulder, this, you know, the one she has with the mule and then that that ending with him i saw her again and i love his accent it's just ah she visited me in a thousand dreams now she's here i have to find gail dornick before she finds me i have to destroy her even if i have to burn everything to do it okay that sounds very telemesque dave yeah that's what alan said or american republican party one of the two yeah right yeah very much so, absolutely. But but you know, Alan from the UK had said said something in his feedback. Will say, I guess had said, will say. I don't know. This time stuff is messed with my head. But um, you know, basically, he thinks his theory that the mule is actually telling is is done. But you know, again, with all the not dead aspects we see here, obviously they could come up with some device by which tell him consciousness somehow survived and and she had said that you know she's not always been female right so i think it's entirely possible even dare i say likely that the mule is especially with Tellum's obsession with the mule i think it's totally her okay i i don't think so but i'm not going to discount that that that's a solid theory for sure yeah. Well, unfortunately, um, by the time uh, season three, if it does come out, I'll have completely forgotten that predicted. <laughs> well, well, you know, it's funny that that's one of the things I had in my notes that I guess we're looking, if history tells us anything, at a two-year wait for season three. Season one was in 2021. Season two, 2023. So we're going we're going to have to wait till the end of 2025 for the next installment and i guess that's the state of television not not only science fiction just generally everything so uh, like you said uh, now on the one hand they're probably banking that oh all our fans they're going to go back and re-watch everything so that's going to generate a whole bunch of hits for apple tv plus and like okay yeah i I get it but yeah i'm sure that's not necessarily why they're doing it but (laughs) but the other story constant emerges and it's sort of like uh yeah well first of all we see the the vault floating in space and then she kind of gets out to this 2001 space odyssey white room vibe even though it's not white but it's that same kind of vibe especially for me it was always the plan terminus would be sacrificed so that foundation could survive harry tells constant now we see polly all the inhabitants of terminus i'm like really 
Yeah. Um, so, you know. Yeah, I, I, I was torn between like actually, again, the one part of my brain that's just saying, I'm going to enjoy this. But say, oh, that's nice. But then the more critically thinking side of my brain's like, come on, man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what else? I don't know. Just the uh, we're talking about the uh, the vault opening up like that. I mean, like the sexual imagery there. Like you can't deny. It. But <laughs> yeah. Dave, you should watch Ahsoka just for the most ludicrously blatantly sexual scene between a rock and a spaceship i've i've ever i've ever seen okay worse than the old like kind of james bond uh train going into a tunnel yeah imagery because they keep so basically what it is on this one planet they go to this big imperial cruiser and this this hole opens up on the underside of it right and it lowers itself onto this big phallic rock i think it even has a set of testicles it looks like (laughs) it just lowers itself onto it and then that's where it stays for like three episodes and every they keep going back to the shot of this ship basically getting on with this rock man it's incredible like every time i saw it i just kept cracking up i'm like oh if only sigmund freud were still alive he would love this so but anyway i digress (laughs) Um, well, speak. Actually, now you mentioned Bond, right? Uh, Tellum's, you know, behavior uh, in the face of Harry's uh, not demise is very Bond villain esque, right? Oh, sure. Like, aha! Oh, well, certainly you're going to drown. I'm going to go away and leave this one guard here to make sure that the job is done. You know, total Bond villain action going on there. Some stuff like that. There's definitely stuff on this show where I just kind of like, okay, like whatever. Like the the whole thing with the spacers. Like, do you understand like what actually happened there? Because I I don't. Well, other than it seems as if the the spacers. I mean, are, are there spacers? Uh, there are spacers other than the ones that are on uh, Bell's ship. Right. Right. Well, those are the ones that Hover went to. And they said, no way we're going to deal with you. And then all of a sudden, apparently they did. Right. Um, So, but then I don't understand like what was like actually happening that was just obviously somehow they're destroying the whole fleet. And it sounds like they're making one ship go into the space of another ship or something. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think all we really need to know is that one by one, each ship in the fleet is destroyed right. so that you know the, the something about if you fold space then that's bad <laughs> and and that one by one that i mean so so in, in other words is the entire race of spacers annihilated i mean is this this you know genocidal event know. yeah i, I don't, don't know think, either it, 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 I mean, that wouldn't make any sense though because they did this to save their race, right? Well, I, I guess. I, I mean, I, don't know. I, don't. I mean that's not clear, but we do see that image where it just seems like you know we just see these little dots and like some sort of sound effects, as if okay, that's that's blowing up, that's blowing up, yeah. and I don't I, know. again, I mean, just like I, I that was total letting my my brain just fly, just say all right, whatever. 
You know, I get, I get somehow Hober outwitted them. It has something to do with the thing in his arm and all the spacers now are destroying the whole fleet. I don't know how any of this is happening, but okay, let's just go from there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I Show get me the a sense good fight that there's a, a, a good fight <laughs> scene, whatever, whatever comes after that, I don't care. Okay, I mean, I got the sense that that something was programmed into the fleet from which they could not, you know, unprogram, and that you know we hit the self destruct button and that's it. There's no going back. So right. that seems like a crap plan, but there it is. Yeah, that might be well. The, the, all the people back on ignis did not sing the ding dong the witch is dead but i was for a second there, i was kind of hoping that they might yeah. yeah but that was a pretty cool scene when when uh they they finally convince harry and and gail and and salvor to you know open the door and and then everybody kneels uh, yeah i thought that was pretty cool and you know of course it didn't turn out the way we thought it was going to turn out but but still that that scene was pretty cool yeah I had a lot of notes okay. on this one, but I think probably. Okay. Yeah, we're good. All right. All right. Well, let's get to listener feedback. Cincinnati Joe checks in via email. I thought the finale was a mess. I haven't loved this season because there's so much magic, super tech thrown in every episode that things seem somewhat random. Also, they wanted too many surprises for the finale and things didn't feel earned. That long exposition about how Gale hid harry was too much especially since the bond villain way tell him tried to kill him was dumb hover's plan with the spacers would have been okay if they hadn't specifically shown them rejecting his offer and of course the magic vault saves the day the fist fight and day going out the airlock with the silly teleporter was fun i guess but irrelevant all their fates were sealed by then what that's a really good point actually when you think about like actually the fight all that stuff, castling, completely immaterial. It doesn't matter a bit because they're all going to die anyway, right? Right, right. In, in you know, because of the folds yeah. in space. But it's still like a really good things. fight, though. Okay. So. <laughs> now, what if Bel Rios had refused to destroy even one planet? It seemed like he would draw the line at destroying the one organization that could oppose the empire he was turning against, especially given the foundation's goal of helping other worlds. Seems like the spacers would have still self-destructed and destroyed the fleet in order to be free. And that's kind of the sense that I got for what was going on. I mean, you know, on the one hand, as we've said many times, we don't have to have everything spelled out literally for us, but, but just give us a chance. Yeah. And I think that's a reasonable assessment that, that Joe points out there after the fact, the way this played out seemed even more contrived. Psychohistory predicts the movements of quadrillions of people over centuries. So it wouldn't be useful in this particular encounter. They're so far from the books that it probably would have been better not to base the show on them. That's a fair, fair point. Right. But would we um, have watched it on, Well, you know, I, I mean, again, that, that's a good question because while there's certainly a lot more good science fiction television out there, I mean, there's not a ton. I mean, yeah. as I've said many times, I'm struggling to find genre shows that I really want to watch. So... All right, he says, on Trantor, it seems odd that the guards all listen to Demerzel rather than Dawn, who was acting head of Empire. 
That's a great point. Will we see him? Will we see him and Sarath after the time jump? Probably not. The teaser with the mule was odd. Not sure I like what it implies about his origin, and it made him seem less scary as a villain. You were going to say something about uh, Dawn being heading acting head. Yeah, like why? Like that's a good point. Like, and actually, I was wondering that as I'm watching. Like, wait, why? Why are they taking orders from her and not from their emperor? Right? Like, why are they going to arrest him when he's the guy in charge? Like, that doesn't make any sense. But well, except the fact that that Demerzel has always been here and always will be here. And we know that she has a lot of standing. So we don't know what she's already told the guards that these are imposters they're using, you know, we already have, you know, know about that visual scrambler. Like when we see Dawn and, and Sarah addressing the public, but it's actually their servants. So, we don't necessarily know what she told the guards. Right. So anyway. All right. You want to get to the audio portion? Sure. All right. We will be right back. This is Alan in Minnesota with feedback for a lively and exciting finale with many reversals and twists revealed. I mostly enjoyed the ride, although I did feel all the tumult sometimes verged on melodrama and inevitably sacrificed some of the subtlety and slow-burn intrigue that was a strength of the show throughout most of the season. It always seemed strange that Demerzel would go along with ending the clone dynasty, and now we know she secretly did not. I guess this day was actually a little more independent-minded than his predecessors, so Demerzel had to be crafty in the way she manipulated him. I thought Dawn might be able to call upon the rest of the aristocracy for support against Demerzel, but she seemed to have their loyalty in being willing to arrest him. Wayne deserves credit for sticking to his belief that Harry was alive despite seemingly all evidence to the contrary, but honestly that did feel like a bit of a cheat by the writers. The twist with the spacers was another way they didn't really play fair with the audience in my view. I rewatched the earlier episode and the queen of the spacers tells Hober it's too risky to ally with Foundation when there's no one else around but the two of them, so there'd be no reason for them to be pretending. Are we to understand she changed her mind after that? Wayne, you must have been relieved to get one of your three favorite characters, Polly, back from the dead this episode, although it ends up being a wash because you then lost Hober. He was my favorite of them all, so I'm bummed about that. Wasn't there enough room in the cleaning module for him to squeeze in with Constant? I feared Tellum might have persisted in Gale, as I mentioned last week, but I didn't see it coming with the kid. Did we get any foreshadowing of that? Her plan there to just shoot Gale didn't seem super well thought out, as opposed to maybe just laying low and biding her time. Quite a switcheroo to go from thinking Glaywin died while the love of his life Bell survived to finding out it was actually the reverse. I do think the show needs to pump the brakes a little bit on making it appear characters have died, but then, psych! I did like the bigger on the inside vault being used as a lifeboat. It always seemed like Harry must be springing a trap, and indeed he was. Too bad he couldn't save Hober and Bell in the process, but I guess someone has to actually die in this show, assuming they really did. I'm grading this episode a B. It seems, though, that most podcasters and online fans are over the moon for this finale. I'm concerned Goyer will take the lesson from this to move away from patient and subtle character drama and hard sci-fi to wild action with lots of reversals and twists, plus science fiction that increasingly leans on that 
indistinguishable from magic quote from Arthur C. Clarke in a way that robs the story of remotely grounded stakes, as might the dizzying flurry of resurrections of supposedly dead characters. Hello to Dave, Wayne, and everyone else in Sci-Fi TV Rewatch Land. Alan from England here, mostly with feedback about the final episode of Foundation Series 2, Creation Myths. What else I'm watching? There's only one thing I'm watching. I'm halfway through Manifest Season 4. The end is in sight, and I guess it's all going to be fine. Or it isn't. Foundation. Season 2, Episode 10, Creation Myths. How is it live? If you ever saw some of those really old black-and-white shows of Superman or Flash Gordon from back in the day, almost every episode there would be a cliffhanger, such as a hero driving off an actual cliff, only for next week to be shown the five-second clip of them jumping safely from the truck or whatever before it went over, which you completely couldn't see in the previous episode. Well, Harry's jumped that cliff, and now we find it wasn't Harry at all. To be fair, you can't really believe anything you see on that world, so that deception had been pretty well set up. If you now go back and re-watch the episode from just after Harry supposedly died, where Salvo is suspicious and Gale is saying not to worry or meddle, that now makes total sense, and in fact it is a much more enjoyable episode. It's a bit like going back to watch Sixth Sense for the second time, except it's not dead people, it's I see different dead people. It becomes clear that Tellum didn't just change her people's minds permanently, she had to continuously bend them to her will. Otherwise, they'd turn back again. That is very similar to the power of the mule from the books. Except, of course, Tellum now isn't going to be the mule, so that's that theory, scotched. When Demersel explains how things are to Dusk and Rue, their end is near, got definite Blade Runner vibes from when the replicants took out Roy Batty. You don't see her take out Dusk and Rue, but you know it happened. But seemingly, from beyond death, Dusk has marked Demersel as a traitor to warn Dawn, who then, quite unexpectedly, manages a successful escape. Meanwhile, Day is still grinning but he's about to push Bell too far by wanting to destroy those other planets, and now Bell has nothing left to lose. What a powerful no from Bell. And a cunning plan from the long-awaited Bell Hobor team-up sends Day over the edge. Then it's everyone slaps Day, and he loves it, until, of course, he gets castled and sent off into space. It looks like everyone else is doomed. Brother Constant looks like the only one able to escape. And she is right on form to the end, saying that her name is Hope. And then, no, it isn't. So that never gets revealed to Hober. Tellum also strikes seemingly from beyond the grave because she's got part of herself jumped into that boy. But it's Salva that gets hit, not Gale. In complete violation of that premonition, that we've had for like 10 weeks. And then Salvor calls her mom. Reminds me of the rare times in Fringe when uh, Peter called Walter dad. One last Star Wars reminder as Salvor is cremated like a Jedi in The Phantom Menace. This episode has more extended endings than Lord of the Rings. 
as Brother Constant finds every single person she ever knew alive in Terminus saved in the ever-astonishing vault, which is definitely larger on the inside. Then, almost finally, there's a new dawn, there's a new day, there's a new dusk, and Demersal has the Prime Radiant. What a combination. I thought at the end Gail and Harry agreed to take a year to teach those mentalists before using the sleep pods, but then they immediately got in them, so I must have got that wrong. And finally, the next season, if and when that happens, is set up with that scene with the mule. I'm pretty sure it's the mule, though now I can't remember what he looked like in the premonition. Of course, if we had uh, the Prime Radiant or Psycho History, we'd know if there was going to be a third season. That would be good. Take care, Alan from England. Hello Dave and Wayne and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Foundation Season 2, Episode 10, the season finale. First off, did you realize that the one that plays the mule is actually actor Michael Persbrandt, who is playing Jacob Niemann in Sex Education, a series I know Dave surely watched, and in the meanwhile, perhaps you also watched the fourth season, Wayne. From the beginning, I saw the mule, I thought, "Mm, that face is familiar, but with these blue eyes, it's not so recognizable. But suddenly, now watching Sex Education, it's that click in my head. Okay, now about the finale. I'm really a little bit annoyed by everybody that is dead and that is not dead. We thought Harry drowned, we thought Selva drowned, we thought Talim is gone, because Harry crushed her skull... And then she pops up in this little boy. Well, this whole storyline makes that perhaps Elvor is not dead. Even a whole population of Terminus is saved, including the guest Clayman. It really gets a little bit too much. Of course, we are happy they are all saved. Can we then please also trust that Selvor is saved, although she was cremated? Perhaps her personality can jump into an artificial intelligence. Or into one of the mentalics of Ignis, like Talum did. I found the whole interaction in the beginning between Brother Dusk, Rue and Demoiselle really, really impressive, well acted. Especially by Laura Byrne, who plays Demoiselle. Brother Dusk said the same as Cleon the First, like... As leaders, we are never free. He was at ease and resigned at his fate. Nevertheless, give a signal to Brother Dawn by the pigment in Damasel's neck. Where he suddenly got that from is, of course, a little nitpick. I also like the banter between Hobermello and Brother Day. <laughs> Hobermello was really like, We tricked you. You fell for our scheme because you're so predictable. I liked that Gail could convince Harry to come with her. I also liked the goodbye to Damasel by Brother Dawn. You really see that these Cleons really actually loved Damasel, but also understand her programming. And on the other hand, Damasel really loves them but realizes she is captured by her programming. A very weird, but partly beautiful setting, with a bad outcome that everybody accepts. 
apart from Brother Dawn and Queen Seret. And since we now go 152 years into the future, I'm very curious what is going to happen to their offspring. Okay, that will be all for Foundation Season 2, a sometimes ununderstandable series, but when you land up at the end, it all becomes clear. And looking back, I think I will give this season an A, uh, perhaps a little bit A-like, but still an A. Okay, greetings, all the best. Thanks for the ride, Fred, from the Netherlands. Well, Alan in Minnesota gives it a B. I'm going a bit higher than that. We'll talk grades in a bit. But I love that he brings up that Arthur C. Clarke quote about things being indistinguishable from magic. Right. And it's certainly apropos here, but again, not to beat a dead horse, I think for most of us, not in a good way. Anything else about Alan in Minnesota? Thanks for the uh, the shout out, Alan, uh, about uh, you know, being right about Harry. Though I'm not sure I'm happy about being right about that. Actually, you know, I think we we talked about how I, I do assume, assume that that Hober and Bell are actually dead, but but then again, when you think about it, like like I think I mean Alan said Hober Mal is his favorite character. I think he's probably the most charismatic character of season two for sure i would i am i going too far saying that you know that so are you going to take that guy off off the plate you know like when you're bringing back i mean like harry selden like i don't need harry selden quite so much but hober hober was great like so and i love the uh dizzying flurry of resurrections that's a that's a good i like that nice nice wording there all right well alan in england you know he mentions that he thinks harry gave in to gail's pleading to stay together a bit too easily and and i agree and and you know you mentioned something that i hadn't thought about that well then who's training the masses if they're both in stasis so it 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 seems unlikely they're going to come out once a year you know for what a a week we're going to train them for a week and then we're going to go back yeah i mean it'll be like what we had to do with the safe school stuff right it's the same thing every year but you have to still do it you know like yeah you just see everyone groaning like oh god they're coming out of stasis it's well yeah well it's like being a coach it's like you you teach your players a skill and then you say all right work on this on your own and i'll be back in a year to see your progress and you know damn well they're not going to be working on it and and if they're working on it they're probably working on it incorrectly right which then just reinforces bad habits they're, so they're actually probably just playing video games yeah uh is salvor's death a violation of gail's vision or simply an indication the future is not etched in stone i guess i would like to go with the latter and, and that's in fact what salvor tells her as she's dying that that see so you 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 were able to change the future. So what that's actually going to mean, we don't necessarily know, but I, I guess it's good that the future's not etched in stone. So. But I feel like it is though. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, and again, I guess that would be what Harry's saying about psychohistory, that, that the larger stuff is etched in stone or is it? Because otherwise then we'd have 10,000 years of darkness rather than, Right. The 1,000, right. I think, that Harry wants to get to. And, and would psychohistory really reveal to us whether there was going to be a third season of Foundation or not? Like, yeah. That yeah. I don't know. 
Yeah. Now, Fred brings up again. Oh, just one more thing. Just about yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Um, Alan, I also believe that Anakin was cremated at the end of Return of the Jedi as well. Star Wars cremation. Now, we clearly agree with Fred that all the resurrections or whatever you want to call them are are too much, and and I'm not happy that so many characters are still with us. Not so much that I dislike the characters. Do you feel like there was like maybe one guy in the writers' room was like? Oh, they can. We can have them come back and be alive again. It was like, come on, Tim, cut it out, dude. Why do you keep wanting to bring these people back? Yeah. Well, then we get the David S. Goyer. I mean, he's the showrunner and and you know writer of so many of these episodes. So I eventually I'm going to listen to some of these interviews that he's been doing. You know, in the last month since the final episode aired. So we will see. Um, Fred brings up, and I'd have to go back and look again about the green pigment. Yeah, that's a good question. That he just happened to have green pigment on his fingers. Now we know that that's how. Otherwise, he I don't know where he had that green pigment. I don't want. Yeah, <laughs> we better stop there. We're gonna we're gonna revisit our middle school roots in a second. Yeah, I think I already did. It's fine. It's okay. <laughs> so, I mean, when he and Rue find you know, the hidden passageway, it's, it's, I guess he touches the painting. So did he happen to touch where the green paint was, I guess, but you never got the idea that, that touching that pigment in the painting, in the living painting or whatever they are would leave the residue of the paint on your fingers. But I guess I never paid close enough attention to that. Plus they've, I mean, how long have they been sitting in that that vault dungeon whatever you know like yeah would the paint not have dried on his fingers by this point yeah. so I, th- I assume that there's some point where they he actually like surreptitiously finds green paint somewhere in there but well, right and you, right and you think that it's somehow going to end up bringing down demerzel and free dusk and rue and and then we see that scene where she sees her reflection and notices the green paint and we have to assume she understands the significance of it and will promptly wash it off even though we don't see that so i don't know but um anything else about fred and his feedback um i mean he mentions the bittersweet goodbye between demerzel and dawn and 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 dusk for that matter which which no, just I, uh, just to assure Fred that I, I will get to season four of Sex Education. So, all right. Well, thank you for the feedback, Fred. Alan in England, Alan in Minnesota, Joe in Cincinnati. Uh, Cincinnati had a, a good weekend, so uh, looks like right. the Bengals are back on track. You know, I, I want to give it a full A, but I can't. So I'm going A minus. Yeah, I am too. I I think right after I saw it again, brain being in the let's just enjoy this and not really think about it mode. But then, you know, as I started reviewing my notes, as we started talking, I'm like, and listening to the feedback, I'm like, you know, yeah, it, it wasn't. It was decent. It was pretty good, but. I didn't lerve it for sure. Uh, yeah, and, and I mean, it certainly sets up a lot for season three. It's just that I'm not sure I'm going to like what they throw at me. 
you know, based on all of the resurrections that we've seen at the end of season two. But it is what it is. We'll uh, we'll move on to our next show and a number of shows thereafter because we've probably got a two-year wait at least. Um, yeah. All right. Any final thoughts before we uh, get on out of here? No, I think I'm, I think I'm thought free at this point, Dave. All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Foundation. Hope, hopefully, you'll join us for Ragnarok. Anything going on in your genre TV world? Check out the Facebook group if you haven't already. Sci-Fi TV Rewatch at gmail.com is the way you can reach us. And we'll be back next week to talk about the season three premiere of the Netflix series Ragnarok. But until then. So I think we just need to have a little goal setting here, Dave. And I think with regards to like the all the other podcasts about Ragnarok, we need a firm goal. And I, my what I think our goal should be is we will destroy them all. You said firm goal. <laughs>